Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. So the old adage is, confession is good for the soul. And so this morning, I'm going to begin by making a confession to you. Something in my life that through the years I have um, been constantly sucked into, drawn into, tricked with. I feel like I should know better and yet time and time again I have been tempted and it has cost me money and... um, and yet, I sometimes keep coming back to it. I would just share with you maybe a picture of the latest thing that has drawn me in and sucked me in. And this time it has been at Costco. Um, and through the years, I'm going to be honest, I walk past the frozen food section and it gets me every time. And that looks so good. It's been tacos, taquitos, burritos. It's always Mexican food. I don't know why. but No, it's actually been, uh, Costco has this, uh, uh, these Japanese stir fries and stuff like that. And time after time, I look at them. There's a little sensor in my head that says, haven't you learned your lesson before? And yet, the packaging... And the way the food looks, some of you are like, dude, that is so gross. It looks good to me, you know, like, and I put it in the cart, and I scan it through the register, and it comes out of my bank account, and I get home, and three days later, at lunch, I open it up, I put it in the microwave, or sometime in the oven, if you have a little more time. And I eat it, and time and time again, I'm disappointed. It's just not as good as the packaging. It's just not as good as the packaging. You know, as we've walked through the Sermon on the Mount, we've realized that the focus of this whole thing is Jesus trying to draw us into a reality of living that is far beyond just modifying behavior but it's changing the very person that we are. It's transforming our heart. And we've walked through already one chapter, chapter five, where over and over Jesus used everyday illustrations and things that we bump into and live through every day to to continue to show us that what Jesus wants to do in our life through the power of his Holy Spirit is to change us from the inside out, to transform our heart so that we become like him. That is his plan. That's his goal, is to rescue us from sin, to establish a relationship with him because of his work on the cross, not anything we can merit or do. But the plan of God is to then take us And mold, make, and fashion, as Romans chapter 8 says, that the predetermined plan of God is to conform us to the image of his son. 
And that happens when our hearts are changed. Our fallen sinful nature is straightened. It's sanctified. It's set apart. It's, it's, it's renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And all of a sudden we become at our very core different people. It's doable. It's possible. It's the plan of God. We've talked about how that looks in areas all over the place, our, our commitment to relationships, our, how we um, understand why we get angry and what that means and why we, we t- are tempted by lust and what that means and you know how we love others and how that Jesus is always trying to bring us to a point where we can live valuing people above everything else and living out loving God and loving others. And as he switches gears a little bit and it's why the writers made this chapter six right you understand that Jesus didn't say Matthew now Matthew chapter six right he's just speaking but the writers create this new uh, chapter because he does switch some gears but the focus and the intent is still the same it's just another way for us to understand how our hearts need to be transformed and this chapter six uh, of which we're going to spend three Sundays in, is, is another way, another glimpse into how do I keep my heart in a place that's following after Jesus? What are the things that can stop me or hinder me or draw me away from allowing him to change my very appetites, desires, affections, and affections? And so today, it seems like we're going to, we're going to look at this idea of how often our heart is drawn away from the heart of God because we are distracted and pulled into worrying and focusing on the approval of others. And then he ends the chapter by spending a considerable amount of time of how we get sucked in to making sure that we are secure in this physical world. And then often the the transforming of our heart that depends on Christ to change us and to make and mold us is so often it's delayed, it's disrupted, it's detoured because we get so fixated on this temporary world, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live, how we're going to survive, what we do with our possessions. And we get so consumed by that that the heart never gets properly attended to. And also, there is this ongoing conflict in our life where it's so easy for us to to think that our security comes in those things. And right in the middle of approval of others and our possessions and our temporary security is this prayer that Jesus gives us that I believe is given to disarm everything that would hinder our heart from from being distracted from Jesus' work. So we're going to talk about the approval of others today. We're going to talk about uh, uh, the Lord's Prayer next week. Uh, The irony is not lost on me that Justin is going to be sharing next week. I hope the irony is not lost on you either. That was not intentional at the beginning. I was just kind of doing a a 2-1-2-1 plan. And then I got to looking more at the, the, the 
the, the sermons as I had, had parsed them out, and I thought, well, man, this is exactly, this is the opportunity for our discipleship pastor to actually learn the Lord's Prayer. Because when you preach, you learn more than even anybody else. So that prayer is given to us in the heart of this sermon as a place for us to, to run to, to see God, to, to, to allow God to do his transforming work to disarm all these things that would hinder our heart from his work. And so let's just jump in as he gives us three more case studies to help us understand. But he begins this way in chapter 6. Be careful, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Notice what this does not say. It, 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 the, the construct of this sentence is not to be, it's, it's, don't, it's, hey, you should be careful. I am having trouble. Let me rephrase this. It's not that you shouldn't practice righteousness in front of others. That's not the point of this verse. The way it's written, the, the end of the verse is the point. You and I obviously should bear the fruits of a new life in Jesus Christ. And that is going to manifest itself in our homes, in the workplace, in, uh, in our third space, whether it be our, our hobbies, our, our things that we love to do. Uh, obviously, we're going to practice righteousness. We're going to live differently. It's not, be careful not to do that in front of others. It's the key part of this sentence is to be seen by them. The seen by them is, it's the first three letters. They're the same letters or four letters in the word for theater in the English language. Do not be an actor on a stage before an audience as if you were putting on an exhibition in a theater. Be careful not to be this kind of person. That the motivation of your heart is to do things so that others might see you do things. I would remind you that God has always been fired up about this kind of heart. A heart that is so much in tune with what others think and their image and appearance before others that they even practice the things that God has asked them to do for the primary purpose of gaining the approval of others or building their reputation in the sight of others. It fires God's up, God up when our motivation for doing the things that he asks us to do is never for him, but so that we look good in front of others. I mean, if you read the minor prophets, you will see this continual theme over and over where God is looking at his people and he is so beyond frustrated because, well, let me just read a section from Amos God here says, I hate, I despise your feast days. Why would God despise that? He told them to do these celebratory days to remember his goodness. And he's like, it's like God is saying, I absolutely hate it when those things roll around now. 
Like, do we have to do this? I hate it. I despise it. I don't take delight in your solemn assemblies. I don't look forward to to Sabbath with you anymore. Though you offer me burnt offerings and meal offerings, I do not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings that you give. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not hear the melody of your heart. But let justice, the right thing, run down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. In other words, God is saying through Amos, of all the things which I have introduced for you to do, of all these things which I've invented and commanded you to do, I end up despising them now because you've twisted, perverted, falsified their purpose. You have now maintained an external thing, but the internal is vacant and empty. And you see Jesus as he's helping us move to a place where we can follow him fully in a way that we begin to be formed in his image where we love God and love others. One of the things that pulls us away from this, it distracts us from this, is we get caught up in the approval of others. And what can so easily shift in our life is the motivation of our heart for doing even good and right things is to make sure we maintain, build, and gain a, reput- a reputation. And what he's saying is if that becomes the focus of your heart, you will not be able to follow me. Are you with me? Amen. All right? Like we are in an image-conscious world, are we not? Like, again, I hate to be the guy who harps on it, and I don't, but social media is just a breeding ground for this, right? It's even funny, sometimes I think I've seen this before, I know what happens, but like somebody wants to post a picture of them doing their Bible study in a coffee shop, but it takes 30 minutes for them to get the picture right. And 50 takes. Are you following me here? Like something's wrong. It's just a breeding ground for for this. And so he sets the table and says, listen, the approval of others to be seen by them is something that stops the work of my life into your life. He says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so then he gives them these case studies. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The word needy is totally this idea of a nonprofit or a charitable organization. I'm doing something, I'm giving to something that is needing my help. It, 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 it exists not from a government program or something like that, but it exists purely because I am trying to have mercy upon, I see need, I recognize that I'm in a position to help that need. So when you give, I want to walk through these and then we're going to make four observations at the end of this. But there's key words in here. So when you give, don't announce it. 
Don't do it for the tax receipt. Don't do it for the list of donors on the wall. That's what this is. I worry about this. We always tease Dave that we're going to have him come back and we're going to dedicate a couple bathrooms to him in his name. Just messing with him. These will be the Dave Lutz restroom area. We don't do that stuff. We shouldn't do that stuff. The church shouldn't be caught up in that stuff. I have been in some of the most sickening environments in church where all we did was feed this kind of thing. I've actually sat in services where they've asked people to give $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 publicly and watched as people raised their hand and did this in public. And all the while, as a very a, a non-believer for a while, and then as a young believer, I looked around and thought, this is not the plan of God. This isn't right. All this does is continue to build This whole thing that stops us from receiving the flow of God's blessing in our life. The blessed life, the Sermon on the Mount life, is a life that when it comes to how we, our approval of others, we don't use giving and our financial resources as a way to try to build our reputation. Maybe I, I don't know if I should say this without talking to the board. Because honestly, I'm not the authority in this church. The board is, okay? Um, but I will never advocate for us naming something after somebody here, even if you give us $3 million. I'll take your $3 million. Right? And I'll be very indebted to you. I won't. The the kingdom won't be indebted, but we'll be appreciative. But I think this is what this is talking about. We don't need names for this and that. We just need Jesus over everything. Are you following me here? Because the world does this all the time, right? The, I'm going to get in trouble here. That's okay. Man, I better be careful. <laughs> the Charles Buckenmeyer Stadium. I'm going to be honest, I hate that stuff. If I become a hall of, well, I'm not going to, so I can say this very freely. Don't put my name on anything. My life was never meant to be pointing to me only meant to be pointing to Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, some of you would not leave. Do you know who Charles was? He was a great guy, great coach. I guess I could say Rex Lindgren, right? Ooh. Come on, PHers, I can't hear you. Right? I'm just saying that the kingdom looks different than the world. We don't care as much about 
who does what. And I get that the motivation for that psalm is to try to point toward exemplary character. Okay? And maybe I should have thought through this a little bit more. (laughs) But I am trying to make a point on purpose. I'm trying to be provocative today to make a point a little bit. That the lifting up of people of building reputation is is counter to the kingdom. We're seeing this in our Christian culture the last 30 years, and we're paying the price, and there's a lot of lamenting now that we've created a celebrity culture. We've taken the world systems and brought it into the church, and now as celebrity after celebrity after celebrity pastor falls, we are in a mess because our world looks around and they don't believe in Jesus because they say even your shining stars Right? It's, it's, this is the kind of, okay, I'm going to keep moving because I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm in good shape, guys. Don't worry. We're going to be fine with time. He says, but when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right is doing so that, when you, that, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Two key words as we walk through this we'll come back to. He said when twice, not if. When you practice righteousness, when you give. And he said reward twice. You will be rewarded by your father. This idea of your left hand not knowing what your right hand, it's simply this idea of there's not a long process of calculation, a lot of thought or analysis, checking out your bank book or whatever. There's just a sense where your heart is just full brimming of compassion. You see need, you just immediately respond to it. Obviously, the scriptures teach us that why is financial stewardship is a a correct and proper way to use the gifts that God has given to us. But there's also a sense where the heart of Jesus, as he sees needs, remember the phrase that he talks, that is always used with him? He moved with compassion. And he's saying, listen, in your giving, in, in the way that you do, you, you, you do so just freely. You don't calculate, will this make me look good? How much will they appreciate it? You just do it. It's spontaneous, it's free, it's uninhibited, it's based on compassion. These are the kind of people that we are that find the flow of God's blessedness in our life. He moves on. When you pray, so when you give, then he says when you pray, when you pray, Don't be like the hypocrites. Again, don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. It's interesting that he uses a different word for street here. Um, The the, the street used for when you're walking down the street and you see someone in need and you give, and your left doesn't even know what you're right. It's more narrow. It's more, this is more the public areas, the the downtown, the, the synagogue, the temple areas the wide streets is the idea here and I tell you that that you should not be someone who stands on street corners and prays to be seen by others truly I tell you you have received truly I tell you they have received 
their reward in full. So many prayers, morning, noon, and night by a Jewish person. And honestly, what had happened is their prayers had become ritualized. And he's saying that it has become a way for them to draw attention to themselves instead of causing their heart to be lifted up to God. Remember the idea of the man, uh, the, the, the publican who's just praying, Lord, forgive me, and the, and the Pharisee who's, who's outwardly saying, thank God I'm not like this guy, and he's praying out loud. That's the idea here. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Oh, sorry, I skipped. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans, for they will be heard because of their for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father has knows what you need of even before you ask again what keeps my heart in a place where i am not seeing myself my identity my worth based on the approval of others it's in my prayer life This had gotten so out of control there and it was nothing for people. People prayed all the time there. They did pray morning, noon, and night. They had prayers, they had psalms, they prayed. It was all great things to do. They were prayers that were meant to be prayed. We should be praying. We even pray now without ceasing. But the idea was the motivation of so many in that day was to use those prayers to cause himself to look good in the sight of others instead of prayer being used to commune with God becomes ritualized. He says, you should should be unaware of anybody around you when you pray. I've wrestled with this this week when you pray, go to your room, you know, the whole closet thing. I, I don't think he's saying that the only time you can pray is in private in a room by yourself. The idea is the attitude of your praying. That when you pray, you get alone just with you and God. Or you and God and who you're praying with. But it is never meant to make yourself look good in the eyes of others. Prayer is only meant to connect with God. Don't use what God has given to make yourself look good and draw attention to you. The third thing he says is we skip the Lord's prayer and we come to this and when you fast do not look somber as hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you they have received their reward in full but when you fast put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Same kind of phraseology. When you do this, your Father will reward you if you do it in this way. Uh, Honestly, fasting is something that (laughs) has been so twisted. Uh, I, I wouldn't even ask how many of you fast, right? 
Because fasting has become something that we do for health benefits now more than anything else. Right? I, I've done, I'm still doing the, uh, most days. I still do the, the, try to stop eating at eight, don't eat till noon, right? Just have those eight hours of, of food. And then I find myself eating the whole eight hours. No. <laughs> so it doesn't work. No, I'm, I'm so hungry. I have like five meals in eight hours. No. Right? You can pick up, you type fasting in Google and it'll all go to all the different kind of health benefit fasts you can do. In the Old Testament, the people of God understood the idea of fasting. That it was, it was valuable. The New Testament never commands us to fast. Never does. But Jesus seems to assume that people who love him and follow him will somehow stumble across this whole principle of fasting. Because what fasting is, is it's this idea of making sure that I keep the primary things the primary things. It's a way for me to say, you know what? The spiritual realities are something that I want to make sure are more important than my physical needs, wants, and desires. Fasting in and of itself is not, hey, you can fast for three days, and if you never pray, and if you never look to God, you've just done something really stupid. Fasting in and of itself is not the virtue. Fasting is simply a way for us to make sure that we stay in alignment with God and the world and our physical desires do not, do not overwhelm or distract from our soul. And there's absolutely those times when we see, you know what? I'm so busy, I'm so caught up in my physical thing and my eating and my, all this stuff that there's times that I just need to stop that, pause it, and just allow myself to, instead of eating lunch, spend time in prayer with the Lord. Push my physical needs so that the spiritual realities of my heart are the primary part of my life. Am I just talking complete Chinese to you here today? Somebody here maybe understands Chinese, but we probably don't, right? All of these things that they practiced were things that God gave them as gifts to open their heart to live in blessing from him, the flow of God's blessing. But what has happened is they have taken those things that God has given them as tools and they have made them tools for their own gain of reputation because their heart is distracted in thinking that their value, worth, and identity is measured on their reputation, not in the relationship with the Father. And we all, all need to hear this, do we not? How often have we chased things, been defeated by things that are all based on what we think people think about us, how we are perceived, our reputation, our image, all of these things. They, they, in so many ways, consume energy and time and cause anxieties in our heart. And, and, and we 
we try to do so many things to make sure that looks good. And God is saying, listen, don't buy into that. Be a person that is only focused on your identity and relationship with Christ. And so here's my four observations from these three case studies. One, you saw in those three sections, there is a when, not an if. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. I'm not going to make this sermon about giving. You know that... um, that probably I don't talk about this enough. Um, Some of those are reasons, just like you have overreacted to things in your life. I've overreacted to settings where they talked about giving a lot. But the idea here is just that people who are in Christ, in the kingdom, understand that Their heart is a heart that's just generous. It understands that the resources that God has given them has never meant to be used just to consume on themselves. My favorite illustration of this is the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead because it it only receives and it does not give out. And so it receives and becomes toxic because there's no way for it to continue to to flow. God calls us, and when you give, Jesus just assumes you and I as his children give. And I would tell you why. It's not because God needs your money. You understand that. God's not up there like this, like if they don't give, I'm not, the church is going to fail. Like, are you kidding me? He wants you to give because he's, he's wanting to change your heart. And giving continues to release you. It releases you from the power of this temporary world. When I give, I recognize that I am a part of something greater. That I have a father who is unlimited in his resources. And that I give, he has promised he will always meet my needs. I do not need to have a scarcity mentality as a follower of Jesus. But a heart that simply understands that I give because it it is a way that I partner in affecting the world for his glory. And it always keeps my heart from being entrapped by this world's possessions and goods and temporary pleasures. Amen? Anybody really believe that God needs your money? He'll make a way. He always does. Giving is to release you, to release you from the dungeon and the entrapment and the slavery of the power of the love of money. Amen. Woo! I'm having fun, but I don't know if more. See, the scriptures say things like, the liberal soul, the liberal soul shall be made fat. That has nothing to do with politics today. The generous heart shall be made Fat, healthy, and he that watereth shall also be watered himself. There's a principle. The more you give, the more you get. 
You water, you get water. Now, hold on. Some of you are like, oh, word of faith. No, the idea is, think about the, the verse that he shared this in the Proverbs. He talks about a farmer. A farmer, honestly, if you think about it, if a farmer withholds the grain and never sows the grain in the ground and never sells the grain to get money to buy the seed, he'll starve to death. There's a cycle. You grow the grain, you sell the grain, you get the money. With the money, you buy the seed, you plant the seed, you grow the grain, you sell the grain, you get the money. Do you realize how much of an act of faith it used to be? Not so much as more because we have insurance. But like to, for a farmer to have taken and had a crop and then to spend that money and to sow it into a ground and depend on God for the rain and the soil and everything. It's an act of faith. But if you don't exercise that act of faith, you're going to be out of farming in one year. You're going to be bankrupt. Right? Giving is a heart that trusts God, gives, takes risks, is, hey, God's going to supply my needs. I'm just confident of that. And so when God moves on my heart and says, I want you to partner with me in giving to this and supporting this, I want you to understand that the way the kingdom operates, the, the way I have given it out, is for you to be used. But primarily, not only is that the way the kingdoms, I'm setting you free from this enslavement to the love of money. When, not if. Randy Alcorn, our use of money and possessions is a decisive statement of our eternal values. What we do with our money loudly affirms what kingdom we belong to. Giving is investing in God. Giving is a sacrificial act. Giving is not related to how much we have, and it always correlates with spiritual riches. You see, the idea is, Paul said in Corinthians, he that that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Uh, again, then this is where I've been scared of talking about giving so often because you got you turn on the TV and you got people that say, "Well, if you send me a hundred bucks, God's going to honor you with a thousand bucks," right? Like they promise all these things. The idea is, if you will be generous, God will bless you. Maybe not financially, but he will bless your life in such a rich, compelling way because you are setting yourself free from the love of money. You're following Jesus. It's what he says in Luke chapter uh, um, 16. If you're not faithful over money, the unrighteous stuff, then who is going to give you the true riches? To live into the blessing of God for your life in all ways always calls for you to have a generous heart he says when you pray not if prayer is my first response not my last resort prayer weans me off of self-reliance he says when you fast fasting causes me to not be tied up to my physical desires needs and wants before my spiritual needs desires and wants it weans me off self-indulgence. The way to live in the flow of God's blessing is to realize that there are spiritual practices that God calls us to that continue to help us and our heart to be set free from this world that would so easily entangle us. Remember the parable of the soils, the four hearts? Um, it says that often Hearts go down and they're choked by the thorns. What are the thorns that choke out the word of God in our life? It's the cares of this life 
the pleasures of this life, and the deceitfulness of riches. These are the things that can so easily cause us to not live in the flow of God's blessing. There's a when, not if. The second thing is right behavior with the wrong motive is still wrong. Right behavior, they're fasting, they're praying, they're giving, but it's obviously with a wrong motive. And it is condemned by him as wrong. Third thing is hypocrisy is not the difference between what we do and what we wish we did. Okay, that's important. All of us live with, man, I'm falling short. I'm missing the mark. That's sin. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the gap between what we show and who we are. Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy, but unlimited grace for honesty. In what areas of your life do you struggle to show your honest self? See, we are so intent so often of putting our best foot forward and not showing anything because we care so much about the approval of others that we lose a sense of who we really are, and so we never change. In fact, it's the writer of Proverbs who says this, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You see, the prayer for me for this service is, Lord, keep me real. Keep me real. All the things I'm trying to do to follow you, make sure that the motivation is only you and not my reputation. Not me looking good. Not my image. The flow of God's blessing will be damned up and will stop in my life if the motivation of my heart is to make myself look good. I can only continue to live in the flow of his blessing when I get beyond what others think of me and my primary motive is always the approval of the Father. You see, being real comes from a healthy self-awareness. And a healthy self-awareness comes from being an authentic community. And so I'm going to take two minutes here and remind you that this is why we keep talking about, we keep trying, we, we run at it, then we retool and we run at it and we retool and we will never stop trying to get you to get into a small group. Because you need a small group to accurately know who you are and what God wants to do in your life absolutely demands that you live in authentic community with other believers. Amen? Like, you don't accurately see yourself all the time. You understand that. Like, you need other believers who then get comfortable with you and say, hey, dude, I don't think you're seeing that right. You're not seeing that scripture. You're not understanding that right. Or you have this, right? It's the only way that self-awareness happens is when, yes, God helps us to understand ourselves, but he uses other people to create a healthy self-awareness. And a healthy self-awareness keeps us real and without hypocrisy. There's people in this room today that are in a small group with me for four years. They know stuff about me that I never dreamed I would tell somebody else. 
and it has been freedom for me. Because what it has done is it kept me real and grounded. I couldn't live under a facade. I'm the, the pastor mystique, right? Like they used to teach us in seminary, like you don't ever like, you know, you're supposed to be the pastor. So you don't ever share your faults or your doubts or your flaws. And some of you are like, well, I, I've met you for a day. I know those things. Right? Like there's this whole thing that they used to teach us. Like you have to be baloney. I'm called to be an example of doing my best to follow Christ. But that doesn't mean that I put on some mystique or facade. And being an authentic community has caused me to keep it real always. It's protected me from living in a, hypoc- a place of hypocrisy. If you are not connecting with others and sharing where you're at right now, then the temptation for you will to be uh, to, to put on a front always and never keep it real. Amen? Man, I'm just like super long today and I'm gonna stop. Because the last thing I want to tell you is the, if the approval of others is the basis of your scorecard, then you will lose out. Jesus says four times, he will reward you. If you do things, if you give to be known by men, then all you get is the plaque above the door. You got your reward. If you pray, you've got somebody, a person who thinks you're a praying person. That's your reward. If you fast, people think you're super spiritual. That's your reward. But if you do these things, connect with the Father and to be used in the kingdom and to follow Jesus, then the Father will reward you. You see, if the approval of others is the basis of your scorecard, you lose out on something greater. That is the reward of the Father. Who knows what that is, but I'm in on that. Count me in. I don't know all that means, but I'd rather be rewarded by the Father in heaven than you thinking I'm like a cool dude, a spiritual person, a praying person, or such a philanthropist. I'd rather whatever that reward from the Father is, sign me up for that. So if the basis of your scorecard is the approval of others, you'll get You sell yourself short. Lord, help us today. So much to unpack, and I'm so passionate about this. Lord, I just want us to be real and authentic. I want me to be real and authentic. I want us to live in the flow of your blessing, Lord. And and, uh, I know that the approval of others is something that we all all are tempted by. And, And Lord, it's just something that for that day, it was religious activities. And he was saying, listen... If that's the motivation, you're going to miss me and you're going to miss my blessing. Today, it might not be as much religious activities, but it's just image and reputation in our communities. And and we, we are so caught up in that. Lord, help us to be free from that. To see something bigger. To have our scorecard be the approval of the Father. To not get caught up in looking good, but following Jesus. These things are what set us free, our heart free, to experience the life of Jesus. Lord, help us speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we think about these verses. 
We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.